You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, David and the Theology that Killed Goliath, recorded on December 16th, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. I'm so glad to see everyone that I can see, and even the people I cannot see who can see me. Um, If you're a first-time guest, my name is Mike. We're happy to have you at Harvest. Um, And you could be right here where I'm standing in Catanning on Friday night. And let me say to the whole church, there's church on Friday night, and it's not far from you. So if you're in Indiana, or if you're in, in the Petrolia Valley, or if you're in Freeport, and you say, man, I just can't make it to church Sunday, you can make it Friday night and have church with us. But if you're in jail right now, you probably can't have church with us on Friday night. And I just want you guys to know that we get your prayer requests, and we're praying for you, and we're happy that you even join us for church. And um, so we're, 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 we're jumping in on David. Uh, David showed up last chapter as we work our way through Samuel. Finally, David. David's a very important man. As you read the Bible, there's a lot of very important men. Of course, there's there's um, Adam, right, and Noah, and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those guys, uh, and then there's Moses and Joshua. But David is definitely one of the big ones. I mean, if you had to narrow the He's probably in the big three so far. You could probably go, well, Adam, you got to give props to, Abraham, and then, and then David, all right? Um, David's a big shot for then and for now because he's the grandfather of Jesus. And not just the heritage that matters, but his position as king. And last chapter, we found out that God chose him to be king, and he's not yet shown to be an impressive young man. Remember, uh, Samuel came out and visited his father Jesse and said, God wants to anoint one of your fine sons uh, king. And so Jesse brought all his sons in, and they all looked like they'd make a great king, but he left one out. And, and after uh, Samuel saw each one, he said, they all look good to me, but God says none of these guys are you all out of sons. And Jesse's like, well, I've got another boy. He's out watching the sheep. He's not that impressive. Bring him in. So in comes David, and of course he's the one. But in the next time we see David, he's dang impressive, isn't he? He does the David and Goliath. He's the David of the David and Goliath story. The David and Goliath story that the whole world knows. Everyone knows. You watch sports, you'll always hear about David and Goliath when an underdog beats somebody. Um, If you watch Survivor which I don't, but so many people are hooked on it. Everyone in my family is hooked on it. Maybe some of you are hooked on it. This is, just happens to be David and Goliath season. I don't know how they do that. Maybe they have a bunch of little hobbits going against really tall people. I don't know what the deal is. I'm not watching the show. But every, everybody, people who don't know the Bible know about David and Goliath. And here's the real story. The question is, do people understand the message of David and Goliath? Now, regardless of what a vegetable might have taught you, the message of David and Goliath is not little guys can do big things too, although that's a nice thing. If you're a little person, um, uh, you know, because you're shorter than your brothers or something, I want to assure you, you are valuable and you are important and you can do big things too. But that's not the point. 
Or, or you know, and people, people like to think it's about, you know, men especially when it comes, this is a very manly chapter, a lot of rah, fighting and testosterone going on. Um, men like to think that, that if, you're, if there's people bigger than you, then you still have a chance. Can I tell you something? You really don't. It's very rare that you have a chance unless you're like an MMA fighter, okay? But we were told that as kids in case we were being bullied. We were told things like, uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Well, the smaller you are, the farther you fly when a big guy punches you with his fist, too. <laughs> right? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fighting the dog. Yeah, that may be, but a little bit of fight and a great big dog always wins the fight. I mean, (laughs) uh, I don't care how nasty angry he is, always take the pit bull over the chihuahua. I don't, it just, the message is not little guys can do big things too. So what is the message? Well, you've heard the story. What I'd like to do is just jump on a few of the verses as if they're rocks on a pond so that we can review the story for the purpose of seeing what the lesson is God has for us. So we'll start with just pointing out that David arrives. And note, what did David show up for in the first place? He was there because dad said, my boys, they're at war. How are they doing? Are we winning the war? Are they okay? If you had all your boys, it's like saving Private Ryan deal, go off to war. You want to know how they're doing. So he says, David, come here, and he sends them in strategically with cheese for the boss. Now, we get cheese is easy to get now, but cheese wasn't easy to come by then. So he'd go cheese up the boss, get some bread for your brothers, but, but I want news. So he's just there to find out what's, what's happening. So when he gets there, and he's chatting with his brothers, for the 41st time, Goliath the Great, How big is Goliath? He spans and all those things. Most scholars think we're dealing with a nine-foot-tall, perfectly proportioned man here, right? This is like Shaquille O'Neal, add two feet, okay? Um, Take a a guy uh, uh, like um, LeBron James, who's who's amazing, not just because he's big, but because he's proportionately big, and add three feet to that guy, or two and a half feet, and, 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 and he steps forward and he says his little speech, Who will fight me? <laughs> and he challenges Saul personally. He says, Are you not with Saul? So Saul's up there saying, Dang, my reputation is on the line here. Come fight me. As if it's a fair fight. 41st time. He talked with them. Verse 23 says, David, and behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. But I want you to look at this at the end of verse 23. And David heard him. He'd spoken it 41 times, but this is the first time. And the Bible says, and David heard him. And now we're going to see the heart of a king. Pop out. Jesse sent David. Go see how the battle's doing. Imagine what Jesse has no idea. That they're at a standstill. Because none of them want to face one Philistine. 
one-on-one. <laughs> Imagine David's surprise. How long has this been going on? 41 days. 41 days! And now, you might say, we might be tempted to say, well, these soldiers are cowards. Why don't they have the guts to go and fight him? At least one of them should, should be fearless enough to go fight him. But before I judge them, <laughs> I th- consider if I was a soldier and young and trained and I knew what I was doing with my weapons and how to use my shield and there was a guy who was three and a half feet taller than me and they didn't just say fight him because I might be willing to die for my country. Most soldiers are, probably most of them were. But if I die, I lose the battle for everybody. Now that really is, when you're doing the accounting, that's a different deal. You might be willing to go die fighting Goliath, but are you willing to be the one who goes and fails for the whole army? You might say, I would fight him, but Bill, you're a better fighter. You go get him. Bill says, I may be good, but Jeff over there is a better fighter than me. I don't want to lose it. And David heard him. David heard him. And then he also heard this. The guys were talking. After they ran back a little bit, they were saying, hey, do you hear the king's getting tired of hearing his name slandered here? (laughs) So he's offering a reward. What's the reward? And they're all talking to each other. And David's overhearing it. Well, first you get the king's wife. And she's beauty, apparently. And uh, her name was Michael. It's a beautiful girl name. I've never met a girl named Michael who wasn't beautiful, myself. (laughs) And he says, then the whole family gets to live tax-free. Okay, that's good. And he's going to make them rich. And David is like, what? Could you repeat that? And they repeat it to him. And he, perhaps he doesn't believe him. He's like, is what he's saying true? And now his brothers are like, what are you doing here, brat? Go back and watch the sheep. He goes, what? Can't I talk? Because brothers are brothers in all generations, and they talk to each other just the same. David, verse 26, said to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? By the way, we don't know the tones of voices. The Bible's not a novel. It's not written like a novel, so it doesn't say, He said incredulously. We don't know how he said it, but I get a feeling he said this incredulously. What are they going to do? For... <laughs> For just killing this uncircumcised Philistine. See, now we're now we're getting personal with our insults, aren't we? <laughs> <We're> <laughs> for just, just for killing this uncircumcised dude over here. <laughs> David heard Goliath one time. His reaction was different than the entire army. He's not a soldier. He hasn't got his man muscles yet. He's close. He's close. He's probably 16. He's he's starting to get bigger, but he hasn't got those grown-up man muscles of a 29, 30-year-old. And he's, he wants to fight. Why did he react differently than everyone else in Israel? Why did he say, I'll be the one? Was it because he was brash and stupid? No. He knew what Jonathan knew. That God is not hindered from saving by many or by few. 
by a small man or a large. It doesn't matter. God is the one who's going to do the saving. He knew, too, knew the story of Moses, the old man with a stick who delivered a nation. He knew the story of Joshua, of walls crumbling down. He knew the story of Gideon. The Bible didn't have much in it, but he knew his Bible. David will come out throughout the Bible as a man of the word. He studied the word. He celebrated the world. He, word. He wrote songs about the word. And he understood something about God. And because he did, he was ready in the moment. One of our lessons, perhaps not the main lesson, but an important one here, I'd like us to get down is this. Faithful living happens in our daily lives as we hear of challenges to God's ways. It just happens. I just heard about this French teacher who's a Christian who's got fired from his job because he would not call a, a, a girl a boy. Got fired from his job. He said, as a Christian, I know from the Bible that boys are boys and girls are girls. You shouldn't need any book to tell you that, by the way, but we live in crazy time. He took his stand. He had his challenge. Uh, Pastor Juan, of one of the largest underground churches in China, it's called underground, but people know about it, called the Early Rain Church, was just taken to jail. And in a moment, all his elders were taken before that. The faithful step forward remembering that we have God on our side. We must act even if the majority of believers around us are standing still. But faithful people should never take comfort in the fact that other people of faith are not acting when it's obvious God needs you to act. An entire church, an entire town of churches, an entire nation of churches can all become as cowardly as Israel. Go to sleep, if you will, together. In in your job situation, in a public situation, if you're a Christian, you've got to be ready to act. In other words, your most important crossroads, because don't you have crossroads, moral crossroads, God crossroads, where God is being challenged in your face and you know you need to do something? And it could happen at school, can happen at work. It can happen in a religious setting. You got to be ready. I will tell you, I was so proud of one of our church members. I went to a funeral this week. I'm not going to mention who because I don't want to insult anybody. But let's just say someone needed to preach the gospel. And one of our church members was there and it, it was her relative that had died. She stood up and told everyone in the place how to get to heaven. How Christ died for sinners. And it's a good thing she did because the pastor did not. You see, these crossroads you come to, moral crossroads at work, moral crossroads at school, moral crossroads in families, even against perhaps one day the law, you'll rarely hear a drum roll right before that. No one will blow a trumpet. Dun, da, da, big moment in your life. Get ready. Wow, I better 
it's going to be a big moment. It doesn't happen like that. You're just delivering cheese. I got some cheese. Some guy comes out and says, ah, I hate God. You got to do something. There's a need to be alert. And in fact, others doubted um, him. His brothers told him, go away, you punk. Quit, quit walking around telling our, our co-warriors, our fellow soldiers, that you could beat up a giant. Quit saying that. You're just our punk brother. Hey, Eliab, your little brother here says he's going to beat him up. What about you? Shut up, David. Go home. Who's watching the sheep? But word got back to Saul. Somebody wants to fight him. Okay, bring him in. Saul is not impressed. David, he, he sees him. He goes, David, you got to love David. Verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight. Tell all these guys not to be afraid. I got this. Oh, you got this. I got this. And Saul said to David, you don't got this. Actually, he said, you're not able you don't got this. You're not a soldier. You're not a trained soldier. You're just a little guy. Maybe in a few years, you got this. You don't got this. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth. He has been a man of war. Since he was your age, he's been chewing on the heads of his enemy. He thrust, he, he thrust swords through eight people like you in one, one shot. You can't, you can't just go out. You only played peewee football. You're not starting in the Super Bowl. And you can't blame Saul. There's a lot at stake for him too. David needed to convince the king, didn't he? he David said, well, I know I need to do this. He doesn't believe in me. My brothers don't believe me. That really doesn't matter. I need to take this stand. I need to make this happen for my God. And so I'm going to have to convince this king to let me do it. He says, your, your, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. I watch sheep for a living, king. And sometimes I'll be sitting there and a bear will come and take a sheep. And you know what I do? I, by the way, for me, I'd say, would you like some catch up with that? Because we're done. Take the sheep. But he says, I chase after him and I kill him and God helps me. That's what he's saying. Lion comes, I got my rock and I got my little knife. I'll take care of that lion. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. He is now schooling the king. King. Are we not the army of God, the living God? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Somewhere in that talk, he convinced him. Saul said, go, and the Lord be with you. He convinced him he's, he's the man for the job. Three Lessons I can take out of this example. Great example. There's probably ten, but let me give you three. One, David respected the authorities God put in his life. David is, is, is uh, he's bold. 
He's bold about his faith. He's bold about what God expects. And he says it right in the middle of all the godly people. It'd be like saying something like that in the middle of a godly church. But he does not disrespect the authorities. He, he looks for the blessing of the king. It is important that you don't think of yourself as God's hero to save the church and you're rude to everybody. And there's a lot of people like that. God needs me to set everybody straight. And don't think you're God's great warrior at, at, at your job or at your school. And you've got to be rude to everybody to show them that you're God's man or woman. <laughs> I still remember a, a friend I, I knew who, who put in his grandmother's, because he was living with her, front lawn, these signs that said stuff like turn or burn. You know what I mean? <laughs> Come to Jesus or fry in hell. You know, really just attractive ways to get people to want to hear more about Jesus. His grandmother, three times older than him, not a believer anyway, and her, her neighbors are saying, you got these signs in your yard there, and she says, we got to get these out of here, and he was ticked. He's like, I'm trying to take a stand for Jesus, and she's oppressing me. And I was like, maybe she's not oppressing you. <laughs> maybe you're obnoxious. <laughs> if you weren't such a... <laughs> There's times when we have to break ways with those in authority over us. But just because those in authority over you don't have faith or don't do exactly what you want, God doesn't say disobey them unless they ask you to disobey Him. As a rule, we should honor those in authority, and He does. Do you? Another good lesson is David was able to articulate the reason for his faith. When a person stands up in a community of faith or in a family or anywhere calling others, follow me because I know the right way, you better be able to give a reasonable explanation of that stand. Martin Luther, when he changed the world in 1517, he went at, at the Wittenberg church door and nailed a document that had 93 theses. That means 93 truth statements that he was ready to fight about. That's a guy ready to give an answer for why he's doing what he's doing. David explained the reason for his faith in God to Saul. Now, if you're a father or a mother, and you're hearing me say this, what is the difference? Do you want to pass on the faith to your children? You'd, you'd better be able to, to not say, you just got to do it because God says, you better stand up and be able to give them a reason for your faith. Whether you're a student, an employee, if you have good reasons for taking your stand, make them sound good. Shouldn't be hard. A third little lesson here. This isn't the main part, but just getting it in here. Is God had prepared David for this moment. Don't overlook this. God uses past experiences of David to prepare him for this moment. Now, David, I don't know what it's like for this guy. He's watching sheep. He's fighting bears, and he's fighting lions. And then he says, the Lord gave them to my hands. There had to be moments where he was throwing rocks at some lion, and the lion goes, who's this kid? And David's like, what have I done? And he's like, that's probably when he was writing the 23rd Psalm right about there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> he's like, God, help. Oh, kills the lion. When, 
Jesus said, he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. He who is unfaithful in little is unfaithful in much. When is it you need to be worrying about being a David-style Christian taking your stand? It's not at the moment of truth. It's not at the moment of truth. It's in all the little decisions. It's when you show you're faithful when you have the opportunity to pilfer little things and you don't. When you have the opportunity to lie or tell the truth and lose some face and you tell the truth. When you need to show a little courage and you do and it's not a big deal. It's not going to change the world and nobody's going to write a story about it. Also, you've got to see that your challenges in life could be preparation for a bigger challenge that you won't be ready to take because when the smaller challenges came, all you did was whine and cry and complain and say, I can't. Right? God is the same God today as he was then. He's not going to throw you into a, a situation where you're not ready to take the stand. You need to take a stand. But you might throw yourself there because you don't take every day as a time to exercise your faith. Every problem is a faith problem. Everything is religious. Everything is theological. Everything. Every time you're stressed, it's a theological issue. Every time you get mad, it's a theological moment. And it's a time for you to prepare, perhaps for something that changes the world. God prepared him. All right, those three lessons out of the way. I think the main point here is that theology drove David. He was a theologically driven man. Now, David did not know the word theology. I don't know if they had one then, but he's never written it in Hebrew. So (laughs) let's assume he never knew the word theology. Theology just means study of God. Have you ever studied God? I'm not asking, have you gone to college and read a bunch of textbooks? Have you ever studied God? Have you ever read about God in the Bible? That's a study of God. And paid attention to what you were reading. Have you done that? Then when you did that, did you say, okay, from now on, I'm going to live my life as if what I just learned about God matters. That is how you live a theologically driven life. Right? That's all there is to it. You can think of anything about, that you learn about God. God sends his rain on the good and the bad. Therefore, you, you don't judge your neighbor. Be good to your enemy. What do I know about God? Well, he's good to people who are wicked. He's good to me. He told me to do it. Why should I be good to the guy who's mean to me? One reason, I'm a theologically driven man. What I know about God should change the way I behave. How do we know he's driven by this? Because of what he says and what he does. Not only what he said to Saul, look what he said to Goliath. What you'll see is David has faith in the power of God. So Goliath, he comes out to see Goliath. He, he does say, I don't need no armor. I can't wear this armor. I haven't practiced in armor, and your armor doesn't fit. I mean, you've been king a while. You got that little belly, you know. <laughs> Armor's way too big here. Go on a diet, Saul. You know what I need? I need five rocks. Five smooth stones. By the way, so you go to, (laughs) when I was ordained 20-something years ago, 21 years ago, one of the guys on the ordination committee brought me five smooth stones. He said, this is all you need. Boy, it was impactful. And 
He says, I got these when I was in Israel from the same valley, the same stream bed that he got them. Good. Someone later would tell me that in Israel, everybody picks up five rocks there and that what they do is they go get rocks from somewhere else and they ship them in and dump them back there so the tourists can pick them up. So my five rocks, they're they're probably Palestinian rocks, you know. (laughs) David picks up five rocks and he goes out there. He's got his stick. Phyllis says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. I mean, I'm scared now. Are you scared? This is when I'm writing the 23rd Psalm. Yay, though I walk, but not David. He's, he's doing fine. I mean... <laughs> It's funny when you read the Bible, the stuff that, that's in there. So Goliath looks at him, and he's, he's ruddy and handsome, and that makes him hate him all the more. Could you imagine being a nine-foot-tall guy? Do you know how hard it is to get a date? <laughs> Every... <laughs> he's got a good job, Mom, but I just don't love him. I mean, every girl looks like a hobbit to you. They're all way down here. Here comes Mr. Handsome. <laughs> he hates them. Then David said to the Philistine, You come with me with a sword and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. What you see here is each of them are comparing notes. Each of them is telling how they're going to beat up the other one. Goliath compares himself to that guy, the ruddy and handsome, the guy with a stick who's only fit to chase off dogs. And after he compares them with himself, he says... I got this. <laughs> David does the same thing. He goes, well, you come to me, well, with a pretty doggone big spear, <laughs> and that's quite a sword, and a, you got a nice helmet, and armor, <laughs> big shield, and I, well, I got God. <laughs> that's all he's got. And he thinks the advantage is his. David never looks at himself as the underdog. Other people say, oh, he's an underdog. David thinks, this is in my favor. I got this. Because me plus God beats anybody. Me plus God. It's just you, David, the stick boy. It's not just me. Me plus God. Now let's fight. How big is God? Bigger than nine feet. He made you. So they're there threatening each other. Dana White's in the middle. Hold him back. David doesn't just look at the sword and the spear. Because he does say that. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But, I, but he says, I, come, I have the name of God. Now, if you're in a fight, which would you rather have? I'd rather have the sword. Just serious as all get out. If, if it's you coming at me, and you're great, big, and strong, and all you got is the name of God. You say, I come in the name of God, and I have a gun. I'm feeling pretty good. All David's got the name of God. And then he adds this. You're, you know what he's saying is, you are whom you have defiled. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Excuse me, defied. You're defying God. You're telling God, no, I'm not going to do it your way. Goliath doesn't see God. He sees David. David sees defying God. 
But he sees it as a man defying God's people. Goliath doesn't come out there and say, let me fight your God. He says, let me fight the, the children of Saul. What's the theological truth we get from this? My lights are getting dark. I don't know why. He defied God's people, so he defied God. David is making a a very profound, if you're worried about the light here or wherever you're sitting, don't worry about it, we're working on it. Just listen to this. David is making a profound theological insight. He's saying, if you defy Israel, you're defying God. This comes to us again in the New Testament. Did you know that? In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when the church was brand new, Ananias and Sapphira saw Barnabas sell a bunch of land, give the proceeds to the church to help with the poor of the church, which we might have to do in the not-too-distant future if the government (laughs) keeps trying to make you lose your job because you say boy when it's a boy and girl when it's a girl they would sell their stuff and take the excess to feed the poor among them Barnabas man he's an awesome dude let's start the Barnabas fund let's you know people love Barnabas because of this so Ananias and Sapphira said well we want them to love us too let's sell our land and give it to the church they sell the land get the money and go Let's give some of it to the church. (laughs) But we'll tell them it's all we got because we don't want them to think, you know, we're greedy. So they put half of it or something in their pocket. They take the rest and they say, this is what we sold the land for, just like Barnabas. What happened? Peter looked at him and said, you're not lying to men. You're lying to the Holy Spirit of God. And they died. What's the conclusion there? Is it when you lie to the leaders of God's church, you're lying to God. Saul, another Saul who would become Paul of Tarsus, was trying to persecute the church of God. On the road to Damascus, Jesus appears and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who are you that I'm persecuting? I am Jesus. Well, Saul never persecuted Jesus. He persecuted the church. So there's that theology. In the New Testament, it just pops out clear as a bell. If you oppose God's people, if you oppose God's church, by the way, there's so many people who always like to criticize the church, you'd better be careful. You'd better make sure that God's on your side on this. But David didn't even have the New Testament, and he saw the same thing. He read the Bible clearly. Most likely, he remembered God promising Abraham, whoever blesses you, I bless. Whoever curses you, I curse. And he knew that you take it on Abraham's children, you're taking on Abraham's God. David's life is theologically driven, is yours. Where does a theologically driven life come from? Reading the Bible. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about the year 2019. Because that's a year 
all of us are going to read the entire Bible together. Isn't that exciting? Hopefully, on your smartphone, you've downloaded the version app. If you haven't, download it now. And when the year starts, there will also be a card every month that checks off so we can all read along together. Because you're not going to be a theologically driven person unless you read his word and think about him. You have to study God. I'm looking forward to that. hope you are too. Anyway, let's, let's get back to this conversation and finish it up. David said something else. After he told Goliath, pff, pff, what do you got, a big javelin big enough to take my head off? Look at a rock. Look at God. You know, this dude. If he loses, it's still going to be the most entertaining thing that's happened in 41 days. But he's going to win. But then he, he adds more to this speech, and I want you to hear it to show that he, he's not, he didn't sit around and think this up. Hmm, I wonder what the theological implications of a great big man fighting are. He didn't, it was just natural because it was the way he thought. He thought about God all the time. He liked God. He thought God was great. He thought God was good. He thought God was amazing. And so when he came along a situation that didn't square, he immediately knew what was going on. And listen to what he says. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. The head part always gets left off in Sunday school. This is why you should let your children come to the grown-up church so they can hear about heads getting lopped off. It's in the Bible. He's carrying that head around. He picked up, yeah, how big is some big melon head nine-foot dude's head? <laughs> you know, go buy yourself a 20-pound ham and go, nah, it's probably bigger than that. Honey, get this head. It's too heavy. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host. Host is a way of saying buncho or army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth. Now watch this. Why? Look at the why. And he's going to reference two audiences. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's audience number one. All the earth. Now, at the time, it probably sounded like all the Philistines will know there's a God. How? Because this 16-year-old runt is going to kick your nine-foot butt with a rock in his God. And we're going to rout you. And then all the Philistines who talk about it will say, don't mess with Israel. Their God is tough. They won't say, little guys can do big things too. They'll say, in the na- if they're fighting in the name of that God, they're unstoppable. And, but he really did go to all the earth, because in 2018, Survivor knows the story of some battle between a few thousand Jews and a few thousand Philistines 4,000 years ago, 3,000. God wants all the earth to know about how great he is. His people have always been tasked with telling the world. Now, in Israel, it was a national deal through their priests, through their nation. With us, it's individual. We all go to the nations and declare. But the the only people who can show the God who is are the people who know the God who is. And he's all the earth's going to know. But then look look what else he says. All the earth is the first audience. Who's the second? Look. And then he says this. 
And that all this assembly may know. What assembly? Now, the word assembly may not catch your ear until you know that the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church, is translated literally assembly. You are the assembly of God. We are not assemblies of God denomination, but they were first to the good name. (laughs) That's what the church is. He's not talking about the Philistines. He already told them, you're not the assembly. We're going to come kill you all. They're not going to know anything. Few of them will run off and tell the story. So who is he talking about? He's talking about all the people standing behind him. He's talking about his brothers. He's talking about the captains. He's talking about the lieutenants. He's talking about the privates. He's talking about the soldiers. These are, these are Jews, God's people. And they need a sermon illustration. He's like the living felt board illustration. <laughs> I ain't made a felt, but I'm about to kill that dude and cut his head off. And, and, and from now on, if you ever use a felt board to teach, to teach children, make sure Goliath's head is detachable. It's got to come off. First he falls down and whack! That all this assembly may know what? And here's the main point. That the Lord saves, not with sword, not with spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he's going to give you into our hands. He is saying this other audience needs some faith here. They've forgotten who their God is. They've forgotten what their Bible says. God's assembly forgot their Saturday school lessons. David became a living example of the truth of God. That's all your life is supposed to be. That's all my life is supposed to be. What was the effect on God's people? When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I would too. I'm out of here. Dude's good with a rock. Next guy's got a spear. If God helps him. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. These are the same men who were like when Goliath came out. They rose with a shout. They pursued the Philistine as far as Gath, which was his hometown, in the gates of Ekron. The men of Israel, the faith of one man, let's put it that way, changed, gave courage, changed the fate of the whole assembly. Now David did this not by saying, this assembly is all wrong. I've been reading books by some pastor in California and he says everything we do is wrong. He didn't do it like that. He didn't go on Facebook and say how stupid everything the assembly was doing. Because that's not honorable. It's not Christian. Instead, (laughs) he taught them. He inspired by taking his stand. There is a time for humbly pointing out the sins But I I always, the fight rises up in me as people beat on God's bride and constantly have to say, well, you know what's wrong with the church in America? I'm like, I don't care. I think individual wolves need, you want to tell me what Joel Osteen's doing wrong? I'll listen all day because he's influencing people the wrong way. But if you just want to tell me how awful the church is, you can write a book on it. You can show me a website that says it. I get mad. Just mad as I'd get if one of you punched my brother's bride. This is God's church. 
David is such a good example. He really could have turned and said, you wussies, you sissies, you crybabies, you call yourself the armies of the living God. Do I got to take a stick and a rock and teach you how to do this? And Saul, you're the biggest baby of them all. No, he doesn't do that. He shows respect. And he realizes it's his job to take the stand. David impacted the assembly by how he lived out his life. Let me ask you, what about you? You know what? This sermon could go really hokey if I sit and say, you know, every one of us has a Goliath in our life. Your Goliath may be a stuttering problem. You know, your Goliath could be anxiety. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> it's really true. We're always fighting Goliaths. He's our example. He shows us. He just walks out and says, look, have faith that God is powerful. He's on your side. Well, I was thinking about this. Isn't it amazing? You know, he's saying all God's power is what saves us, right? And when we think about sin, it's still all God's power that saves us. Jesus died on a cross to save us. And then Jesus was risen from the dead. How much power does that take? And then we have the God who has the power to raise the dead, power to walk on water, power to heal the sick, power to make the earth, power to name the stars, power over the devils, power over the angels, power over the nations, and yet when he comes into the earth, it's all placed in one little tiny baby. I don't know what to make of that. That's the miracle of Christmas, right? One little tiny baby. The one who made the earth. (laughs) He's asleep in a food bowl. (laughs) Don't wake him. Get the drummer boy the heck out of here. He's he's trying to sleep. (laughs) I don't care what happened to his lamb. Hosea says this, I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by a bow or by a sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. In your life and my life, The power to save us from sin is not ours. It's one man, three nails, three days. Resurrection, we believe. And then your sins are taken away. And it's not our power to live a good, faithful life. It is his. I mean, what can I add, Christians, except let's be David? You're probably never going to be asked to fight Goliath, really. And that's good. Because I don't want to be tested like that. I don't, some, some are like, well, I'd do it. And I'm like, good for you. I have a lesser opinion of myself. I would hope I would do it. But one thing I can copy them in is when I go to my job, am I faithful? Do I see protecting sheep as a spiritual venture? Do you see, do you work for a gas company? Is that a spiritual venture? It better be. You know, <laughs> Uh, are you retired? Are you spiritually retired? Can I theologically drive myself and know the word? Can I live as if there's a God who likes me and is all-powerful who's got my back? Can you do that? I can do that. And mostly I call, we got to be bold. You know, it's been on my mind, this French teacher. 
what is happening in the politically correct movement has nothing to do with politics. I don't know why the word political is in it. You know what it's going to ultimately be about? Getting Christians to shut up. Because when all is said and done, everyone in the world will eventually say, okay, I'll go along. And the only ones who will stand out is you. And in this nation of laws, they might start passing laws against you. Will you be ready? Well, if you want to be ready then, be bold now. Don't be ashamed of Christ now. Hold your head up. I can't believe you're so dumb you believe in God. And you don't? That's what shocks me. Merry Christmas. Jesus has come. He's died for the sins of the world. There is a Savior. It's got to be on your tongue. It can't just be on preacher's tongues. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.